Good morning. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and uh, our guest today is Tom Luongo. I can't believe uh, for somebody I've admired as long as I have Tom and his writing I've followed as long as I have. This is the first time that I'm talking to him. But, Tom, it's, uh, it's a thrill to have you on, and, and uh, Tom is a, he's, he's a former chemist, uh, an amateur goat farmer. He described himself as an opinionated political analyst. I say he's a very uh, smart uh, anarcho-libertarian political analyst. Uh, he's the owner and publisher of Gold, Goats, and Guns website and investment newsletter through Patreon. So, Tom, um, I, we could start in many places, but one of the things I like about your writing is you're interested in and you're an expert in the uh, what's going on in Europe. What Do you think that Britain is finally going to actually leave the uh, EU or are they are going to be stopped Oh, well, first, before we get that out of the way, it's absolutely my honor and pleasure to be here this morning. I can't, I can't believe that we've never actually had a chance to, to, to talk. And I've, I've, I've prepped for this conversation for 15 years, Lou, and, and um, <laughs> uh, I just, you have, I met, I got a chance to meet Ron Paul about two months ago, and I, I, I nearly cried at the process. And, and today, I, I feel just as, uh, uh, I just feel just as honored. So I'm, uh, you have no idea the effect that you've had on my life and, and, and everything else, because I wouldn't be where I am today if I'm not. So getting that out of the way and, and the mutual and, and the mutual appreciation society done, do I believe <laughs> well, that the, that the Brits will finally get out of the EU? Oh, it's a really good question. I want to believe it. I think the political calculus in Britain today is one where Boris Johnson, the new PM prime minister can't not deliver. But the fear I have is that Johnson himself is a political cipher. And I know he's a former Lou Rockwell re, uh, reader and, and all of that. I remember when he first hit the political yes. scene, um, when he first became mayor of London and, and mentioned that he read Lou Rockwell.com every morning, which I thought was cool. But I, I look at this and I say the, the danger with, uh, with Johnson is that he is exactly what Nigel Farage has been banging on about on his radio show every day, which is that – Boris is going to go to the EU, realize that he doesn't have time to change the withdrawal agreement to any appreciable extent, get some kind of tweak to the, the, the current arrangement in some way, and then declare victory and go home in, in very Trumpian fashion, right? It's, you know, Trump's been doing this with uh, the NAFTA agreement. At the end of the day, I think the USMCA is actually worse than NAFTA in many ways. In some ways, it's better, but in many ways, it's mm -hmm. worse. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that I worry about with guys like Boris Johnson. The good news is, is that Nigel Farage's Brexit party is so strong, I think. And from what I can feel, the British polling across the country, uh, especially up in the labor strong with the former um, strength stronghold of labor in the Midlands, that Farage is going to hold on to 15 to 18 percent of the population, regardless of what Johnson does, even if Johnson delivers a no deal Brexit on Halloween. And he, the only way he's going to be able to consolidate power after a no deal Brexit is to include Farage to get the Midlands and then come in with some kind of um, uh, majority, like, you know, coalition proof majority or Brexit proof majority or remain proof majority. I'm sorry. Um, you know, 350, 380 seats, I think is very possible uh, if Johnson delivers that. The question is whether or not he is. I don't know if he's a globalist. I don't know how much of a globalist he truly is or not. And that's the big question I think everybody has. No, and, and, and he's got things wrong with him. I mean, he's a, he's a big uh, open borders guy. I know, uh, I know. So uh, and that's just one of the things wrong. And the things that are right about him, his uh, uh, tremendous ability in Latin, his his education, his, I mean, he's just a, 
a model of, uh, let's say, the upper class British production. I mean, he's he's quite something, but right. can he be trusted? I know that there are libertarians in Britain who think he he will betray them. Right. So uh, we can certainly hope that's not the case, but. I'm a little bit worried, um, and I notice you are too. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely am. I have to remain skeptical about everybody who ascends to, to power. I mean, it's just by <laughs> by definition, right? It's, you know, it's funny. That's right. It doesn't matter what it is, and 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 Britain has so and the the Remain camp, the the globalists have done such a wonderful job, or what I like to call the Davos crowd, have done such a wonderful job of 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 gaslighting everybody about how horrible a no deal brexit will be that you've got people just completely insane i don't know if yeah. you follow brexit twitter at all but i do and it's 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 terrible uh, frankly i mean most of twitter is terrible but um brexit twitter is particularly terrible um and uh and you know i was just writing i was just working on a blog post this morning and i'll probably get out this afternoon about dwayne johnson's the rocks his his little dust up about boris johnson just saying something very simple like yeah boris is right government is our you know we the, you know the government works for us and everybody lost their mind because it was said by boris johnson like what's, what's wrong with you people I, we know what's wrong with them is that they are so down the 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 path of ideological possession and so down the path of of political cynicism that I think Thomas Jefferson himself could come back today, rise from the dead, recite the Declaration of Independence, and everybody would decry it as racist because he was a slave owner. They'd arrest him. And arrest him for it, right? You know, because he's yeah. because he's a terrible person. Because it's crazy where we are today. But and I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I really do. Um, and it's a, and it's a sad it's a sad thing to say, honestly, because you know you can't even if you engage in wrong thing at all, right? You can't engage any kind of you know proper argument because you're the wrong person saying it. It's it's I I I boggle at at how far we've fallen as a society that that's what the truth that's where we are. So uh, I just I, it it makes me sick to my stomach to be honest with you. So can't even say that Baltimore is rat infested. Yeah, you're not even as the rats as the rats run by <laughs> during the during the newscast, right? I mean, and, and and there's Trump, and Trump is making. A, I mean, the, one of the things I like about Donald Trump, and you know, I you know you've read enough of my work to know that I have a very love hate relationship with Donald Trump. <laughs> yes, me too. Uh, everybody sh- and everybody should, right? And everybody should always remember. Uh, I think that the first rule, if, you know, if we libertarians have a voice today in modern politics, is to remind everybody that politicians are our tools, and nothing more than that. They when they do something right, we should we should applaud them, and when they do something stupid, we should lambaste them. And that's just that simple. And mm-hmm. they are tools to our ends. That's exactly what Boris Johnson said the other day. It's exactly what Dwayne Johnson was trying to get across. And um, and that's where we should be. Because I, I don't think the libertarian movement as an as a organized movement, certainly at a political level, it's worthless. It's been completely co-opted by the neocons. No, it's, it's evil, but, um, of course, yeah. It is. No, they yeah. really are. I mean, when they run somebody like Bill Weld as the – uh, as, the, as the LP vice president, I'm like, oh my god, because you know this, this is ridiculous. This is why I left the party in 2004. I remember, um, I remember when I when we first, you know, I first started chatting. God, when we, you know, when I when I think I still had hair back then. Um, I, I remember saying to myself, I remember just getting involved in the Libertarian Party. I was very, I was, I, I just like, I, I was full of you know all the, the 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 enthusiasm, right? And so I started a local thing. I started a local affiliate and everything else. Within two years, I was like. This is insane. Why would I do this? This is such a waste of my time and energy. The politics is such a, a, a complete waste of time, even though now I make my living doing it. 
Um, but it's as an educational tool, as you rightly pointed out. And I thought that they, that was the right ethos of, of Lee Rockwell back then, Lee Rockwell back home back then. It was that, that it was the educational process uh, that was important. It was reaching as many people as possible and becoming as better, best a communicator of these ideas as possible. And I know that um, I know you've spent your entire life doing that. And and it's inspired myself and others to do the exact same thing. And, and I think that that's the legacy that we really have to, to look at going forward. Um, you know, it, it's, it's the emphasis on that. And I remember having that, these discussions with people within the party then saying, look, you know, we're never going to win elections in America. Come on, get over yourself. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, everything is against us. 95% of the money and time we spend is getting on the ballot. How are you going to win an election in a post 9-11 America on an anti-war platform? You're just not. So, and of course, are any of them anti-war? I mean, certainly Justin Amish and the uh, the establishment libertarians are all terrible on war. Of course they are. Of course they are. And then they and then they and they quit the Freedom Caucus the minute that you know Trump says something mean to to, to somebody that they're. It's like you know Amash is, is is such a he's such a poser. It's not funny. I yeah. don't even I don't even give him the time of day. Right. Um, I think you know we have some uh, we have some 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 interesting people coming up through the uh, through the younger generations. And I think that, you know, nothing's going to change, I think, politically until, um, unfortunately, the baby boomers are gone. And I don't mean the, any disrespect because I know, you know, you're of that generation. Um, <laughs> I uh, agree with you. I, I just don't see it happening because it's just it's the it's the ethos of that generation. And, and look at how hard they're holding on. Look at how hard the moldy old libs like Schumer and Pelosi and Soros and the rest of them, how desperate they're, they're desperately they're clinging on to 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 finish their their projects that they've started and to see them, but they're collapsing. So it doesn't even really matter if Boris Johnson, you know, delivers Brexit on October 31st, because Brexit's going to happen. Because if he doesn't deliver, Nigel Farage will be PM, be prime minister within a year. And all they can do is poison pill him like they've, you know, like they've done to, you know, Salvini and uh, Zelensky in Ukraine and other people and other people like that. You know, they're leaving behind poison pills for them to clean up, which is what they do. Right. And then, of course, they think it's a wonderful thing to, to throw, uh, uh, milkshakes at him. Yes. No, I know. Milkshakes aren't good enough. No, they're moving to concrete now. And, you know, I don't even want to get into that, that, you know, we're sitting there having to, uh, accept the, accept real violence, because if we were to strike back at all, um, after having been, you know, had eggs thrown on us or, uh, I mean, just remember about what happened to people during the, the, the Trump Hillary campaign. It's going to get worse in 2020. Much worse, abs- yes. Much, much worse. I mean, it hasn't even started yet. I think Sor- Soros and, Sty- and Tom Steyer are spending so much money stoking the political divide. And because, I mean, that's their, their goal is to destroy America. We all know this. It's been, their, it's been their, their stated goal for decades. And you can see it happening. And, and what bothers me about this little Dwayne Johnson, Boris Johnson dust up is that the people who are doing this don't even realize what they're doing. They don't realize that they're not saving anything. They're not going to save the country. They're not going to save society. They're actually, hey, they're actually doing the work of the very people that they are worried about. You know, the the oligarchs who run and the corporatist oligarchs who supposedly run the world or think they run the world. Um, and that's the part that I I, that I cannot get through to people. I, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I'm sure I do in 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 my writing at a certain level, but you know, I know personally, it's like it's really hard to like make that connection with people, like to get through to them that 
that you're carrying water for the very worst people in the world, the very people that you say you're up against. I live in Gainesville, which is, you know, run by communists and, and, and populated by, by, by the worst kind, you know, by, by well-meaning Marxists. I mean, I, I, all of my friends are libs, right? I mean, all of them. And I, I try to get through them and they just don't get it because they don't want to believe that they're actually doing that. And it's the cognitive dissonance of, of the age and I don't know what else we're going to do about it. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> no, it's quite something. And, and, uh, I think you're right about increasing violence. There was a previous uh, labor British prime minister who once had a, uh, a uh, milkshake thrown on him and he punched the guy in the face and everybody cheered. <laughs> right. If Farage or Boris Johnson were to do that, of course, they'd be jailed. You know, they'd be in there with Tommy was, Robinson. Which is what's, what they've done to Tommy Robinson is terrible. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a fan of any of this stuff, right? I mean, I look at all of this and I say, uh, you know, I, I don't even want to get into the Tommy Robinson debate because I, I, I've actually stayed far away from it for a variety of reasons. Um, but because there's so many other things to talk about and at a certain level, it's like, and it's just a certain point you just say, okay, mm -hmm. I don't want to be an expert on that. You know, it's bad enough that I've like gone down the, the Bill Browder hole for crying you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. I'm surprised I'm still, I'm not, we're not having this conversation while I'm in a remanded in a hole in Guantanamo. I mean, to be honest with you. So uh, I, I mean, but it's, it's just a testament to how small my, my audience is that I'm not right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's fine. I, you know, I've, I've said this in other interviews and I'm okay with only being so big because at a certain level we're living in the age when once you start to get to a certain level, that's, right. that's when they start coming after you. I already had a guy, you know, infiltrate. I think I'm, I'm almost positive I had a Fed infiltrate my, my private Slack server for my patrons. Um, and, uh, you know, I said something bad about – I said something about David Duke being a CIA asset and he just lost his mind. I'm like, oh, come on, dude. You're such a Fed. It's not funny. Please go away. Now. It's OK. I don't, I don't need your $4 a month. It's OK. Goodbye. Right? And uh, seriously, it was we, – we, and, and, and all of the, the really hardcore people in my group were like, oh, my god. That guy was like card-carrying Fed. It's like, OK. You should consider that – you know, consider it. I guess I should consider that um, um, praise or something because, you know, you're now – you're over the target enough that you're taking flack, right? So. Remember back in the 1970s when um, Murray Rothbard and I were in the LP and uh, there were feds in all the LP meetings. Mm -hmm. And this was a, you know, this was a far smaller operation than it is today and it's tiny today. Right. And yet they had the, the money and the interest to, uh, fo to follow us like that. And of course the number of uh, spies and uh, feds of all sorts are just humongously bigger today. So I, you know, I think we all have to worry about that or at least – Laugh at it. Yeah, well, I, that's what I, it's funny. I comments on my blog are, are are broken for whatever reason. I don't know why. I'm not sure if WordPress broke broke the process or not on purpose. But I, I for a while I was dealing with this guy who was so obviously um, a, a a Soros plant from Brooklyn because he was coming from a, a, a Brooklyn IP address, and he would change his he would change his WordPress. Um, he would he would open up a new WordPress account every day to comment on a new blog post. He was always the first one in. I'm like, huh. So I just junk it. You guys didn't see any of this, so they would just junk them immediately. I wasn't going to have this guy's comments littering, you know, my mm -hmm. blog. I mean, uh, you know, if you've got honest criticism of what I say or what I write, fine, fine. But if you're just a Soros plant and you're not, and you're getting paid fifteen bucks an hour, I'm sorry, you're you're not, you don't get that. So I don't give you that audience. Um, and what's funny is I think I think there was something about like all the the, the there was a study or something that came out in Canada recently, right? That uh, over half of the people who were part of the separatist militia groups or whatever, the hard right militia groups, were feds. Well, yeah, I think right. that's right. <laughs> like, like you know, and it's like, 
guys, you know, you're all and, and, and of course, it's like Scandard Arkley. They're all like Phil K. Dick's great novel, A Scandard Arkley, where all the cops are under so undercover that they don't know that they're all cops. <laughs> right. And then eventually they wind up, you know, in that book, of course, it's the ultimate anti-state novel where the, the cop who's undercover winds up spying on himself. And the cops are so uh, the, the whole sting operations are set up that even the even their um, uh, commanding officers in the chain of command don't know the real identity of their officers. Right. That was the setup in that book. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's a brilliant. I've not read it. No, I should read it. Absolutely. You should, because um, um, you will be you will absolutely. Um, it's got the de- most devastating ending of all time. That's all I have to say. And, and this most devastating indictment of the drug war I think you could ever read. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's almost as good as Breaking Bad, the television show. Tremendous. Yeah, no, tremendous. I'll, I will get a copy. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I should send you one. It's, it's, one of those, it's one of those novels I think that every libertarian should read. Well, tremendous. And, and uh, thinking about another subject, are we, in, are we in a recession? Are we about to be in a recession? Oh, yeah. Are we about to be in a depression? Well, it all depends on you know, your definition of all those terms, right? I think we've been saying for a long time that, you know, that they just keep changing the definition of the term in order <laughs> to ensure that they can't, that they can, you know, it's because it's all very Orwellian. Let's, let's change the definition of the term. I think when you're spending $1.2 to $1.4 trillion more than you're bringing in, and that and that's then counted as part of GDP, that it's impossible to get uh, an actual recession on the books. Like, you know, it's just been legislated away that we're not allowed to have mm-hmm. GDP Slack, right? That we can't have a, a you know, a, we can't have negative growth of GDP. Uh, we can't even say, you know, shrinking of GDP. We have to say negative growth in order to continue to, you know, emphasize the idea that's all. It's all about growth, right? Uh, it's all got to be positive all the time. Um, I don't know. I, the the truth is is that we've been in the in depression since Lehman Brothers fell, and it's all just been papered over with trillions and trillions of dollars. The euro dollar markets are are absolutely uh, aghast at what's going on. I think we're very close to uh, a, a huge spasm. I think this ties right back into what we were talking about at the beginning with Brexit and that the markets are still discounting the idea of a no-deal Brexit uh, too much. And I think it doesn't matter one way or the other uh, whether it, that happens because the, the European Union is already in a recession. Germany's economy is is in the pits. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of it is the rest of the, the European economy is terrible. So the euro is vastly overvalued, probably by 25 or 30 um, percent. We're sitting at 10 trillion dollars worth of European sovereign debt trading at negative yield. I think if there was ever a definition of ludicrous, it would be that because, <laughs> you know, that's to me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too much of a geek. Um, but, you know, when you when you put all those things together at some point and then you look at what's happening politically in places like Germany and France and others and Italy and others, you just have to say to yourself at some point, everybody's going to look around and go this whole this this whole denying the fact that the European Union is falling apart at the seams has going to end at some point. And it's going to be that whole Hemingway thing about, you know, how did you go broke slowly and then all at once? Well, how did the European fall, Union fall apart slowly and then all at once? First, it'll be bre- Brexit and then the whole thing will just collapse. And that's what they're worried about. And that's what they're that's what the central banks right now are trying to coordinate in terms of their communications and their policy. Um, and I think they can con- continue to kick the can for a few more months. But I think we should watch German elections coming up next, uh, what, in September and October, very carefully. Um, we, there's state elections in Germany that are coming up that I think are important. Um, we should watch, obviously, the, the wrangling of Brexit to see what happens. Um, and I think, you know, win or lose, it, it's all bad for the EU, even if they were to survive, you know, Boris Johnson. Or, you know, if Johnson is a stalking horse for the globalist establishment. 
uh, and he you know betrays Brexit. I think that it just delays Brexit for a year or so, and then but everything is looking like in the next six to nine months that everything's going to break apart, uh, and we're going to have this kind of real spasm that is similar to. Uh, in, in, in effect to Lehman Brothers, if not worse. I think gold is starting to tell us that um, in terms of how it's trading and the, the massive safe haven trade across, I think, across all safe haven asset classes, including Bitcoin, um, is, is your biggest tell. You know, just I mean, if you're if you're not a deep market guy, you know, you just have to, you know, just break the markets down at the 30,000 foot level to safe haven assets versus risk assets. And you say, look, you know, gold, U.S. Treasuries, U.S. Um, U.S. equities and Bitcoin are all up, and everybody else is down. That's what's happening. That's a safe haven trade. You know, the money is moving to the, towards the center of the financial, you know, the financial world. The dollar is breaking out to the upside. That's that's a that's a pretty that's a it's a pretty easy read from that perspective. But you have to dispense with you know the CNBC view of the world to get that. What about the uh, what about migration in both Europe and in this country? Uh, except in Hungary and a few places like that that are refusing to go along, but yeah. but everybody else seems to be going along, and it's uh, substituting a new culture for the old culture. I it, we are living in a time right. We're, we're, so so let's I, you know I I'm a big fan of stories right, and especially big archetypal stories. You know I'm a huge Star Wars fan mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. yeah. and. And I always I, I read the I, I look at these things from that perspective, and I say to myself, where are we in that form? Where are we in this in the in these stories? Because these stories have power. They're you know be it the Bible or all the creation myths or anything else, and you know, and when you look at where we are, we're obviously in that portion of the cycle where the political and cultural institutions are inadequate to stem the chaos of what's happening. They're inadequate to the task of holding society together. Whether that's been the plan or it's part of just the process, you know, that's that's debatable. That's fine. It doesn't matter. Strauss and Howell call it a fourth turning. You know, call it what you will. So I don't think that that's going to change at all. So the whole so where we are in in after 140 years of cult, of Marxism and then the last 40 years of cultural Marxism taking over the institutions of power, I don't think that's going to change until it hits rock bottom. So we're going to deal with. Um, this open border stuff. We're going to deal with, the, with, you know, it's going to happen. And I don't think there's anything we can really do. Unfortunately, there's anything we can do to stop it until everything explodes. I don't, I have not been sanguine about the future of the United States for a long, long time. I don't write about it much, talk about it on my live streams all the time. And we talk about it privately, but I, I just don't, I just see the United States is ungovernable in t- even 10 years. I mean, we look at what's happening. We, we are handicapping an ugly 2020. What are we looking at in 2024? Martin Armstrong makes the point all the time. He says, what comes after Trump? If this is where we are now, what comes after Trump? Who is going to run for, for, for political office in, in an age where Dwayne Johnson can't even say the government works for us? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that when you when you break it down to that level, who's going to show up? Is a, is a, is a principal? Are principal people like even like Tulsi Gabbard, who's you know in her in her way, I think is the for as 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 flawed as I think she is, one of the most principled at this point principled people in uh, you know mm-hmm. in in public life today. So I think to a lesser extent, so was Rand Paul. He's not his dad, but he's still got he's still got his principles, and I you know and I and I applaud him when he does good, like every other politician. I, we just don't have any. There's just no. 
I don't see that happening. And, and go back to the, the original point about the generations. I don't think my generation or the millennials are going to fight for this post-World War II institutional order that they don't believe in. And why should they? Right. Why should we? I, you know, I mean, I'd like to, but I don't see the point of it. So I don't think there's going to be – so with the, with, the, with, the, with the ethos, generational ethos of the generations coming behind who are moving into the, the political power, right? I'm having a hard time believing that – I look at my millennial friends and I say to myself, yeah, they're not going to fight a civil uh, – they're not going to fight Lincoln's war to stop you know, secession. They're just not going to do it. They're going to be like, yeah, whatever. Okay, have a good day. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. You know, what, Florida, you want to leave? Okay, I'm not going to be happy about it, but let's do it. I mean, I'm to the point now where I, 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 I'm actually going to start, this is the, like the next phase of my, of, my, uh, of my antipathy towards these people. And be like, look, I'm going to take the position of the original Massachusetts abolitionists and say, I do not want to be a member of a society that, that you know, defecates in the streets. And doesn't deal with homeless people and doesn't, you know, and, and I don't want to be a part of that. Anymore. I don't want to be a part of what California is buying in the same way that the Massachusetts abolitionists didn't want to be a part. We're the first secessionists in America, as I learned from LRC all these years ago, that they wanted to secede in the United States because they did not want to be in a compact with slave owners. And that was a very principled stance. And I think that we as libertarians and we as conservatives and even as conservatives and just the people who want to hold on to the um, some semblance of the old political order or the old institutional order, societal order, um, that we don't want to move at the pace that California is, is demanding that we move to, we move at. And uh, that we're willing to change, we're willing to be, you know, uh, you know, accepting of new ideas, but not at the pace that they're talking about, which is 18 months ago, we were talking about transgender bathrooms, and now all of a sudden we're talking about, but we're not allowed at all. <laughs> and then 18 months before that, it was just, you know, well, you know, trainees are people too. And then it was transgender bathrooms, and now it's, and now it's, um, you know, the trans people can commit murder and get away with it because otherwise it's, are you kidding? Excuse me? No. Um, my, my daughter is never going into a transgender bathroom. It's just so simple. What dad, <laughs> what normal dad would ever let that happen? No, it's, it, it's insane, right? I mean, I spent, and it was funny. I mean, I was much more, I was much more tolerant of these people, uh, and this, this that worldview, before I became a father. And you know, my daughter's thirteen now, and she's completely awesome, in a way that I, I, I am um, humbled, right? That I produce so, something so, so cool and so vibrant, right? Ain't no way. <laughs> like my entire life since the day that Camille said to me, we're going to have a kid. I mean, my entire life changed. And I said, okay, well, now I have to like spend my life protecting it. Well, that's right. Yeah. You know, and uh, moving into that and moving into that, which is why we live where we live. It's why we built the house. It's why we did all the things that I've written about on and off over the years for rockwell.com. Um, and um, no, no, no. And it's why today, to this day, I still make the very principled stance, no matter how, no matter what my familial obligations are. Uh, as in, you know, taking care of my older generation. If they reinstitute the, the draft and they say that my daughter has to serve, give up two years of her life, and then debt servitude to the state, I'm like, no, I'm done. I we're we're out. We're on the next plane out, um, and we sell everything and we leave, and I give in my passport. Done. I, I I won't I won't do it. That's that that is that's my that's my that's where I break. That's my dividing line. And um, otherwise, I'll fight for it. But up to that point. Do you think that people in uh, in Europe are, are likely to uh, secede? I mean, the mm. yellow vests or or uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Emmanuel Macron is very very close to uh, a Bastille moment, <laughs> and I, I do. I I, I think yeah. that 
Yeah, I know. I really do think that he is very close to that. Um, and while he goes along, kind of like blissfully goes along trying to take over the European Union from Angela Merkel. If you watch the, the internal fight that's happening between France and Germany, between Macron, who was the chosen by the Davos crowd, by the globalists to take over for Merkel after mm-hmm. as she exits the stage, you can see how this is changing and you can see how they're going after each other. There's a Brexit angle to this as well. Um, and France wants to punish the, the Brits for even having the temerity to getting away from um, their rule, yada, yada, yada. I mean, but this is, this is stuff that goes back, you know, this is enmity that goes back thousands of years. This is culturally, you know, um, uh, this is not something that's going to go away. And this is the fun- fundamental reason why the European Union was unworkable. Um, it could have been workable had they done what Martin Armstrong told them to do, which is to consolidate the debt under one issue or a lot of the Federal Reserve and the uh, Treasury. But they were never capable of doing that. And I'm glad that they did because if had they done that, the world would be in a much worse place. Yes, true. So, you know, in their in, in their way, the circumspect, uh, you know, the circumspection of the individual uh, European governments uh, has may in some ways may save the world. We'll see. But we know that the plan at this point is to destroy what's left of the uh, what's left of the European Union's, indi- you know, independent each of the states independence, set their own budgets and whatnot, and then foment a crisis and try and consolidate under the ECB or whatever and the IMF. I don't know that they're going to pull that off. And I, I think that um, the forces of decentralization are too prevalent. And I think um, because as we as you and I well know, studying the stuff from an Austrian economic economics perspective, bigness doesn't work, that the market wants to grind out all arbitrage to zero in no matter what form it takes. And that will ultimately grind down big governments, big corporations, big ideas, and it will grind them down to because there's always an arbitrage for the individual to get around it, no matter how much Trump tries, for example, tries to, to grind um, Iran into economic dust. There are always people who have – it just raises the cost of using the dollar to the point where people will trade with Iran in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's – this is you – know, they, they refuse to understand the basics of human nature and the basics of you know, why economics is not a mathematics science but a, um, but a personal one, right? a sociological one. Right? And um, this, this is what's going to happen and they're going to lose. It's just the process in the order of operations of how they're going to lose. That's the hard part. And we unfortunately have to live through it. Um, and they're going to fight tooth and nail to the end. And it's going to be very difficult. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. But um, it'll be interesting. Tom, just one last point. Uh, we're both fans of Salvini. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is going to happen to him? I wonder if he'll end up being president of, of the Northern League as an, as an independent country. It's possible. It really is possible. And I remember all those years ago, I think it was about five or six years ago when, when what Venice and Lombardy both voted to like lead <laughs> yeah. Italy. I remember, yeah, I remember that. Right. And that's, this yeah. is who Salvini ultimately represents and who is backed by. Right. And I think that Salvini is on the right path of, of trying to in, institute a parallel currency. Don't let the, don't let the, the naysayers tell you otherwise. He's absolutely, ta- um, absolutely got plans for that. Um, I think that five star movement understands the necessity of the certainly the leadership like DeMaio, I think, understands that. I think some of the rank and file and five star don't. Um, I've talked to a lot of Italians about this behind the scenes. Um, it's one of the great things about doing what I do. I get people, you know, give, send me information, you know, unbidden and to help me understand some of the nuances of what's going on. Certainly in German politics, I've gotten that kind of education. Um, 
I think Salvini is on the right path. I think he's doing things the way he needs to, which is to make the European Union into the bad guys at every turn because he has to change public opinion within Italy first to accept any kind of radical move so that during a crisis, when things start to go badly and the European Union goes to clamp the screws down, that there will have been a litany of abuses that he will be able to play off of Mm -hmm. in order to say, no, we need to resist this. Um, It was never there with the Greeks. Um, under Cyprus. And, um, as, and I think he's, I think everybody saw what happened there and was horrified. And, um, I think Salvini's smart enough to know this. I, I remember when he first entered the scene and I wasn't sure about him back in 2017. And I wrote some, some blog posts in the late 2017 outlining, outlining literally what his game plan should be. And he's like gone down that road. <laughs> like, 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 did you read the post? I mean, or is it? No, he, obviously he didn't. He's just a very smart guy. And it was very cool to see somebody in politics understand what you're up against. And um, I think that between him, Orban, Farage, and a few others, that they truly, at, at a level that they don't talk about publicly, because they can't, but they understand it, you know, just by watching the way they operate, you can see that they get it. I was reading Victor Orban's latest um, speech was sent to me by a, w- a wonderful Hungarian woman uh, who sends me stuff about Orban all the time. Uh, he gives a speech every year at, um, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a university or, or you know, kind of similar, similar to like a, an economic circle that, you know, like the Mises circles or what uh, Putin does at Valdai every year. Um, and uh, it's the most important speech he gives every year. And you, he was going through – I was reading that yesterday going, oh, yeah, Viktor Orban gets it. He knows exactly what the story is. And he knows exactly what he needs to do to stop uh, the encroachment on the Hungarian society. He, so he's, um, uh, he's, a, he's a massive figure in European politics. No, he's unfortunately. Magnific- magnificent. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. In, in so many ways. And, uh, you know, I, I can only hope that, uh, that Farage uh, is, as, is half as good. I think uh, is half as good as that. I think there's on some issues I still have a lot of problems with Nigel on. But as far as Brexit is concerned, and getting sovereignty back for the British people, I think he's absolutely spot on. Um, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll use him for as long as we can. That he comports with our our goals, right? That's 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 what that's what political that's you know that's what politics is all about, right? And these people are tools, and we should never we should never invest them in cult, never invest in cult the personalities of them, um, never consider them you know our saviors, never substitute for them, never substitute or, or lay on our own hopes and our own desires onto them as a I was thinking about some of the things I wrote recently because I was chatting with Lee Stranahan on Twitter this morning about, you know, about hope and how hope is not a plan. And we cannot – and you know, in our desperation uh, during these very difficult times, these are hard times to get a, a handle on, that we cannot lose sight of our, of our skepticism and of, our own, of what our own goals are. Um, because if we invest too much in any one person, certainly the MAGA crowd has done that with Donald Trump. You know, I've called him orange Jesus. I think that's a very <laughs> apropos term. Um, and um, I, I think that when you, you can't do that, you have to remember that, that's right. um, you, that you have to remain skeptical of everybody at all times. And um, you have to remember that everybody who has a little bit more power than you is angling for and talking their book and angling uh, for some advantage over you and angling for your vote and angling for your time and angling for your money. And, um, you just have to make sure that you don't let them do that. 
And if you keep that, if we keep that in, you're going to fail. You're not always going to be right. You know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, you're going to invest too much here or, or whatever. You're going to, you're, you know, no one's perfect, right? You're going to make, but, but always keep your circumspection. So always keep your skepticism and always keep your independence. And always keep your values as to what you want foremost in your mind. Um, then you'll, you know, you'll navigate this pretty well and you'll know who's lying to you and who isn't. Tom Luongo, I can't thank you enough for coming on today, and I uh, hope everyone who's listened to this podcast understands why they need to subscribe to the Gold, Goats, and Guns newsletter and uh, read everything that you write. You're, you're a great voice for liberty and for civilization, and um, all I can tell you is just keep it up. Thank you, Lou. You, you, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you.